Hear the word of the Lord. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they couldn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good morning, sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you. Happy Easter. All right. Let's do it again. Uh, My name is Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're visiting with us, welcome. Welcome to Sojourn, where uh, the air conditioning is broke about one out of every four summer Sundays. But the Spirit of God never is. Huh? Amen. All right. I don't care. I care a little bit. Um, But I got to be excited, you know? So I'll sweat for us all. I'll sweat plenty for all of us. And if you're a visitor, I'll try to be quick. All right, I'll try to be quick for you. Um, Easter is a fascinating day for me. Uh, It's celebrated by billions of people, literally billions of people all around the world. It's a day that whatever you believe about Christianity, it's undeniable that Easter Sunday changed the course of history forever. It's just, you can't, it's it's a milestone in the human timeline that when Easter Sunday hit, Something happened there, and the course of human history changed forever. It's, it's beyond dispute. So it's, it's perhaps the greatest day in human history, the greatest day of the calendar year. Uh, and yet it's interesting how, um, I would say, how little most of us are stirred by this day. Uh, or maybe how distracted we are is a, is a better way to put it. And, and here's, here's what I mean. Um, Easter, when the run-up to Easter, at least in my family, I don't mean, I mean this to be observation, not indictment. So if you're here, it's like, oh man, two seconds in and the pastor's guilt tripping me already. That's not what I'm trying to do. For us, you know, a couple weeks out of Easter, the big decisions are, where are we going to get pictures with the man dressed in the bunny suit? Um, isn't that weird? I, I'd get it if we were taking pictures of children holding little cute bunnies, like real actual bunnies, but... Could, maybe one of y'all could go invent a human Easter bunny costume that isn't terrifying to look at. Uh, or the, all of a sudden around Easter time, um, we get real interested in the special meal. Anybody know what that meal is? It's just me. Brunch, right? All of a sudden brunch becomes a big deal around Easter. Maybe that's just my family. We don't talk about brunch at all. And then about a month out, we're like, where are we going to have Easter brunch? 
Um, and it's not, I'm not saying any of these things are bad or wrong. All of a sudden, the Cadbury Easter eggs are out. Uh, and you can get 35 for a dollar tomorrow, right? <laughs> right now, it's like $1.79 a pop. And tomorrow, they're just practically giving them away. And I, I don't think any of these things are bad or wrong or that Christians should, like, stop doing these things. Um, it's just interesting to me, given... Um, what happened on Easter and it's the, the role that is played in history, uh, how little attention or emotion or our hope seem to be bound up in the idea that a, a real flesh and blood human being got out of a grave. And it, to me, it kind of feels like, um, it made me think of when my wife was pregnant with our first child. Um, I, I knew all the cliches about having a kid and I thought I was ready. And by the cliches, I mean, it's like, oh, as soon as you see him, you just love him so much. Or, you know, like all the things that you hear people say, oh, the child came and my whole world changed. You know, it's like, I get it. Okay, I get it. Okay. Uh, and in the, the weeks leading up to it, the months leading up to it, you, you get all amped up about things like blanket deals at Target or uh, going to Ikea and buying child straps, because kids climb bookshelves, right? And you got to strap your bookshelves to the wall now. There's those, these kinds of things that you get really excited about. And I'm not saying pregnancy isn't magical. It is. It's kind of weird, too, if you think about it. And once you start seeing the creature trying to break its way out, like a sci-fi movie, it's a little weird. Um, but I was prepared, I thought, with all of the cliches. And then you find yourself in a hospital room right? And the beeps are happening, and there's bags and injections. And then all of a sudden, a doctor says something like, I see the head. And dad, at least for me, I was like, a head? What do you mean a head? And then, you know, like, pop goes the weasel. A whole human being comes out, and you're looking, and it's like, it's a human. It's almost surprising. This is a real human. There was a and you realize 90 seconds ago, that entire human was in your wife's stomach, and now it's there. And I can remember holding my son and running. They wrapped him up first. I was in a hurry. So they wrapped him up, and I remember running out into the hallway with my family saying, it's a human, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> you know. So, so I, it, it shouldn't really be surprising, right? As far as I can tell, most childbirths involve two humans reproducing with a human, um, I had all of these cliches, I, have, I had all of the information, but then something happened, and it, it was real, it was tangible, and I was profoundly different, and I was almost embarrassed how true all of the cliches were, and I was like, oh yeah, that's why they're cliches, because you see this little sucker who's one notch above helpless, and you're like, I would do anything for you. My whole life just changed. I love you more than I thought was even possible. And so I'm curious if it's possible for Easter to be an experience like that. And, and what I mean is one where we have the information and maybe it's familiar. And for some of us, cliche, maybe you collect Easter Hallmark cards. But can Easter be an experience that moves from the information and the cliches to something that transforms us, something that is real, that is tangible, that changes us? We have this fascinating story here in Luke 24. 
the people involved go through kind of three realizations or, or three movements, and they experience something. And I think that the same experience is available for us today, too. And I think if we follow them, Easter can become a real, tangible transforming experience for us, not something that we just come to celebrate on one Sunday a year. And the first movement is fascinating to me. I, under, I have a little more sympathy for us. I have a little less sympathy for the people in the Bible. The, the first movement I see is, is simply believing the miracle of the resurrection. Uh, this is surprising to us. It should not have been surprising to them because this was not a mystery Jesus kept from them about what was going to happen. But so here's what's going on. Jesus has been dead for several days. Uh, it's not like Jesus had a rough night and then wakes up with a gasp in the ER. He's been buried for days and he was buried in a hurry. He didn't get a normal funeral and so in these days of waiting, several women that were close to Jesus wanted to make it right. They, they essentially wanted to be able to give Jesus the funeral he couldn't have. And so in verse 1, we see this. Very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. These are traditional burial spices. So in essence, what's happening here is... Uh, these women wanted to be able to give Jesus some kind of funeral, even though it's days late. They, they wanted to give him some kind of proper burial. Maybe they were thinking, you know, if we can at least do this for Jesus, we can have some peace. If, if we can at least take care of the body, that'll give us some comfort in the midst of the, the loss, the devastation, the dis disappointment of Jesus dying. What's fascinating to me is they came expecting a corpse. I don't know everything that was going on in their mind. I don't know all of their intentions, but clearly they came expecting to find a body in the tomb. Look what they found instead. Verse two, they found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. It's easy to miss the miracle of the resurrection when we're focused on doing the right thing for Jesus. It seems to me that these ladies had spent a few days trying to do the right thing in the name of Jesus. One of the easiest ways to miss the miracle of the resurrection is by getting busy for Jesus, by doing the things we think are the right things for Jesus' sake. Let me put it another way. If in your mind... If in your upbringing, if, you, if in your experience, Christianity is about doing stuff for Jesus and not the miracle of the resurrection, you will eventually, eventually get bored or burnt out or burdened by guilt because it will never be enough. The first step and making Easter real is believing the miracle of the resurrection. A dead man came back to life. I'm going to say that again. A dead person who was in the tomb for several days came back to life. This is the truth that Christianity was built on. The Bible says if this doesn't happen, all of it is a waste. The rest of it is a joke. If you don't believe the miracle of the resurrection, stop going to church. 
It's a silly club to be a part of. If you want to experience the beauty of Easter, if you want to experience what Christianity is about, you must begin here. A, a man who was really dead, who was really buried, came back to life. The tomb of Jesus is empty. And it's verses like these in the Bible that are so encouraging to me, especially when you've got doubts or, or you're skeptical. If you want to have the doubt test, here's the doubt test to know if you struggle with doubt in your Christian faith. You got to stick your left arm out like this, and you got to take two fingers like this, and you got to put them right here on your pulse. If you have a pulse, you struggle with doubt. <gasps> Even you, pastor? Even me, and I do it for a living. But watch this. Think about this for a second. The theories on what happened with the resurrection are so ridiculous to me because we can't see what's right in front of our face or there's something in us that just wants to refuse what is most obvious. I just want to point out a couple of quick things. Uh, and I want you to realize sometimes it's easy to say, well, those people back there were dumb, right? 2,000 years ago, they, they were dumb. They didn't have iPhones, but they weren't dumb, okay? They weren't just like backwater backwards, we'll believe anything we want to believe. And that's another conversation we can have. But think about this here for a second. First off, did you know back then in that culture, women weren't allowed to testify in court? Uh, we see some of the traces of this feeling about women because the guys, the, the men here dismiss what the women have to say about the resurrection. Women weren't allowed to testify in court. And if you read about the opinions of women, why that is, it'll... It'll raise your hackles, right? If you voted for Hillary, don't read about that kind of stuff, okay? It'll re it's really offensive. It's really bothersome because women are too emotional to make rational decisions. You can't trust anything they say because they get all wound up. Women weren't allowed to testify in court. So think about this. If you were gonna make up a story to a culture that totally disregards what women say, would you make up a story where it's a group of women that are the ones who initially report the resurrection? Think about that. That makes no sense if you're going to make up that story. This was written just a handful of years after the event. And it claims to be written on the basis of eyewitness testimony. Notice how he fills it with names of real people. These would have been people that you could say, wait, hold on a second now. You tell me a dead man came back to life while Joanna lived down the street. I'm going to go talk to Joanna and see what she has to say. The book of Acts, later on, I mean, just keep on reading the books. It'll say he showed to hundreds of people, all of the disciples. It gives names of people, places of people. In other words, if I told you that Abraham Lincoln came to my house for dinner yesterday and everyone in my neighborhood saw it, you would probably say, I'm going to go talk to your neighbor. Was Abraham Lincoln there? I'm going to go talk to one of the dinner guests. Was Abraham Lincoln there? They could have easily done this. If you're making up a story, why would you fill it with names of people that you could easily go talk to? Uh, the easy explanation is because it actually happened. <laughs> and so when I'm filled with doubt, when I'm skeptical, I read this and be like, this is not how I would invent a religion. This is not how I would invent a story. Maybe those people were dumb. They're not this dumb. If you were one of the disciples, would you allow the story to be written where you're like, hey, women, be quiet. This is ridiculous. You're full of it. And you're the one who looks dumb. 
I would not let the story be written that way. Practically speaking, maybe that's not compelling to you. Do you realize this happened on the other side of the world? This happened in the Middle East? This happened with a bunch of uneducated farmers? Fishermen, rather, mostly? What, what's the point you're making? We are in Indiana! And look, there's people here worshiping Jesus. You know how many people in history have claimed to be God? I bet you couldn't name five of them. Why? Because they claim to be God, they die, and it just disappears. Now, here we are 2,000 years later, and people are still talking about Jesus. Billions of people are worshiping this Middle Eastern man, Jesus, on Easter Sunday. What do you do with that? So practically, what does this mean? How do you believe the miracle of the resurrection? You can look at stuff like this and say, I wouldn't have made it up this way. You can gather around God's people in a random place like Indiana and say, something happened. What happened? A dead man came back to life, and he changed the world. And listen to me now. If you miss the miracle that this happened, you will miss the rest of it. The rest of your faith will fall apart. If you miss the miracle, you miss the rest of it. Believe the miracle of the resurrection. The second movement is we, we see that they begin to accept the message of the resurrection. So back to the tomb scene. I think these women wanted to do the right thing for Jesus, but they get to the tomb and they find it empty. But that's not all they find. Do you see two men in shining, shining clothing? What do the women do? They hit the deck, right? They're terrified. They fall to the ground. Why? Because they're angels. And in the Bible, the angels kind of look like human lightning bolts. They're scary. They fall down and listen to what the angels say to them. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He's not here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. The Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. They didn't just miss the miracle of the resurrection. They had missed the message of Jesus' ministry. They missed the message of the resurrection. Listen, they knew that Jesus had died. You see what I mean? They knew he had died because they saw the tomb they saw the body laid in the tomb. They saw the stone rolled over the tomb. They knew he had died, but they didn't realize or they forgot that he had to die. It wasn't a mistake. <coughs> it, something hadn't gone sideways. Did you see what the angel said back in verse 7? The Son of Man must be, must be, leave that up there must be betrayed. This was not a mistake. This was not wicked people thwarting the will and plans of God. This must happen. This was the plan. They thought, these women and the disciples, they thought Jesus was going to overthrow Rome and I think essentially teach them how to live better. It seems to me they thought Jesus was a model to follow. They thought he was an example. They knew he had died. They just didn't realize he had to die. To put it in modern language, or what, what I hear around our part of the world, they would have seen Jesus as a wise moral teacher that they were hoping would get some political power. Easter 
will remain cold and lifeless for you so long as Jesus remains your example. So long as Jesus remains a model for you to follow. The message of the resurrection is not Jesus is your model, so try harder and follow him. The message of the resurrection is Jesus is your substitute. He did not come to give you principles. He came to take your place. He did not come to give you instruction. He came to give you life. Do you see that? He did not come to say, do better. He came to raise you from the dead. The scriptures will say you are dead in your sins. You are so far from God, you are like a corpse. And Jesus is not sitting there kicking your dead, lifeless body, saying here's 15 principles to save your marriage. He comes to you and says, wake up, you dead man. He came to give you life. How do you know if you've missed the message of the resurrection? I would say this is, mm, I want to say the vast majority, but that could be an exaggeration, and my wife tells me I struggle with exaggerating. (laughs) Boy, I think a lot of us have missed this message. A lot of us have missed. Here's two tests that I stole from Tim Keller. Don't listen to Tim Keller's sermons, because you'll see where I get all my stuff from. Um, Two tests. There's probably more. Here's two of them that, that will let you know, you know, it, do I see Jesus as my example? Do I see Jesus as a model for me to follow and not as a substitute? Um, first, how often are you filled with self-pity? And here's what I mean. You, you look out and say, I deserve more. My life should be so much better. Like, woe is me. It's not fair The only way we can speak from there is if we don't realize the depths of our own brokenness, the depths of our own sinfulness, the depths of our own twistedness. When we say those kinds of things, I deserve better. We're thinking that we just need an adjustment. If Jesus would come and give me a little booster shot, I could do better. If I just had a couple of extra principles. You see yourself, when you say these things, as primarily a good person. The the hardest person, the person who it's hardest to come to Jesus, I think, is the person who sees themselves as fundamentally a good person. I'm pretty good. And I think to see yourself that way, you have to be entirely blind to the life that you're living. Do you do the things that you don't want to do? Do you ever not do the things that you want to do? You ever spent a decade or more trying to stop doing that thing? Do you ever hurt somebody when you were trying to love them? Have you ever blown a situation up with the best of intentions? People who say these kinds of things see the problem with the world primarily as those people out there. But I'm good. I'm more or less a good person. You've missed the message of the resurrection. You are not a good person. This is one of my favorite things about this church is we just try not to sugarcoat it. When you come in here, we assume that you are messed up and got a lot of baggage. 
Uh, we take away the assumption that you are a good person. So when you do dumb, would none of us are surprised. Uh, because from the Bible that we read, you realize there are no heroes but Jesus in the Bible? It, well, what about the disciples? You mean the guys who said to the women that were close friends with Jesus, you're crazy? Because Jesus did the very thing he promised he would do? There are no heroes in this book. The message of the resurrection is... You're broken, you're twisted, and principles cannot save you. You don't need instruction, you need a substitute. The first test to see if you've missed the message of the resurrection, how often is your life filled with self-pity? Second test, how often are you filled with self-loathing? This is where Christianity gets a little bit paradoxical. So maybe you say, oh, well, instead of self-pity, I should walk around saying how awful I am all the time. How often do you carry around a sense that I'm just a failure? I'm just no good? You've missed the message of the resurrection, that Jesus is your substitute. He's taken your place. Your punishment is his. He's carried your weakness. The resurrection is the promise that you will be raised to new life. But what's more than that, today, here and now, the message of the resurrection is that in the midst of all of your brokenness, there is the promise that God loves you just as you are. You are inescapably more broken than you realize, and you are far more loved than you could possibly imagine. The only voice in the universe that matters looks at you and says, I'm in love with you. I'm pleased with you. I want you. You are beautiful to me because of what Christ has done for you. The message of Jesus says, yes, you deserve worse, but you get far more because Jesus takes your place and all that is his can be yours by grace. If we fall into self-pity or self-loathing, we've missed the message of the resurrection. If, if Jesus came to be a good moral teacher, I, I just love there's probably some special on the History Channel tonight, and somebody with a whole bunch of degrees is going to say, well, we know Jesus is one of the greatest moral teachers that's ever lived. And it's like, you got a real problem on your hands if this great moral teacher went around lying about being God. We call that person today a sociopath, and they typically end up in jail, right? Like, you've got a real problem on your hands if you're going to look at Jesus and say he's a good moral teacher. You got a real problem on your hands if, if you think you can white knuckle your way out of the brokenness in your soul. Some of you have been trying that for years and years and years. And let me tell you, that is why you are so tired. And what does Jesus say? He says, I had to die. The Son of Man must be betrayed and handed over to sinful men to be crucified so that you could be made alive again so that in me, all of your sin could be wiped away. All of your brokenness could be wiped away and you could come home to God. And what's so fascinating about this, we'll see in a moment, even knowing this is not enough. If we want to feel Easter, believing, accepting the message in our minds is not enough. It must lead us to receive what is ultimately the gift of the resurrection. These angels say to the women, remember what he said, and essentially it all clicks. I love these ladies. It doesn't take much from them. They're the ones who are showing up early. They're the ones who, as twisted as it is, they're doing something for Jesus, and the disciples are essentially playing video games back home, right? Like, they're just like, whatever, it's all over. 
And then it doesn't take much for them, right? The angels say, remember what he said? And they're like, oh my gosh, this is it. They run and tell everyone. Verse 11, watch how the disciples respond. The story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. What's so interesting to me about this is that they knew just about all there was to know about Jesus. They probably would have run circles around you in Bible study. They witnessed his miracles. They knew all of his teachings. Uh, It's their words in most cases that allowed us to write down what we have in the Bible. Like they saw it, they lived it. They knew what kind of food Jesus liked. They knew what kind of jokes made Jesus laugh. But it simply was not enough. You see, They, they, they didn't believe, even though they knew everything there was to know. Even being told he was risen was not enough for them. It sounded like nonsense. So again, for you who wish you weren't here right now or think Christianity is ridiculous, would you have put this in the story? Think about Peter, who went on to be one of the leaders of the church. If you were going to make this up at some point, I would have been like, hey guys, bring it in. Remember that part about how we were going to put in there about I always said the women were full of it? Let's just take that out. Is that cool? Let's take the ladies out. Let's have us be the ones who went to the tomb, all right? And let's say we worship Jesus right away. You see what I'm saying? There's lots of things you could have done to make yourself look way better if you were gonna make this story up. Believing in the resurrection was just as hard then as it is now. His disciples, his closest friends are wrestling to believe it. And no amount of information will answer those questions. Personally, I spent about a decade of my life thinking that Christianity was about information. And so I treated the resurrection of Jesus like an episode of CSI. And I examined all of the evidence, right? You look at all of the forensics, all of the different perspectives. And after all of that, after a decade of doing that, I think I was pretty smart. I had a lot to say if you wanted to talk about it. I would love arguing with atheists. Christianity is so stupid. Explain the resurrection to me. Oh, what, you want to talk about swoon theory? I'll talk swoon theory. You know what I mean? Like, I was ready to argue because I had the information. Um, but, after, you know, about a decade in and some hard conversations with people close to me, I realized after all of that, I wasn't much different. And I got more excited thinking about arguing with someone who didn't believe in God than I got thinking about Easter Sunday. I got more excited thinking about winning a debate than I did about Jesus coming back to life. And most of all, for me, Jesus um, seemed like a fascinating historical figure, but functionally like a stranger. I would, I would have described my faith then uh, like standing at the gravesite of a loved one. Some of you know exactly what that's like. Where you bring flowers, you got some nice words to say, but then there's that awkward silence. What now? Well, I guess I'll just go back to the car and go back to normal life. I'm just wondering... You know, how many of us spend years and years going to church, years and years reading Christian books, 
and we find ourselves somewhere in middle age or later in life, and Jesus is a functional stranger. We know the words to say are the right answers, yet here we are at 9.56, and we're more excited about brunch than the empty tomb, or we don't recognize the voice of Jesus. He doesn't feel like a friend. He seems like an interesting historical figure. Believe the miracle of the resurrection, accept the message, and then receive the gift. Look at what the angels say. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? You can have information about a dead person. You can have sweet, precious memories about a dead person. But you cannot have a relationship with a dead person. Relationship is the gift of the resurrection. We can know Jesus. We can be transformed by Jesus because Jesus is alive. We do not look for him amongst the dead because he is alive. So what's this mean? How do we receive relationship with Jesus? How do we experience it? Well, there's many ways. We have a class for this that we call church. It meets every Sunday, right? I invite you back next week and we'll talk about it again. Uh, And just to give you a heads up, this is what we talk about every Sunday, knowing Jesus and being transformed by him. There's one beautiful way that I think we can receive the gift, and I think we see it here in the text. It'll carry us to next week. We're looking at a fascinating story right after this, the road to Emmaus. So verse 12, one disciple did get curious, even though he ridiculed the women. Verse 12, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what happened. Peter was poking around the tomb. Again, interesting side note here for the skeptic. Jesus was buried in a hurry. Uh, Linen was valuable. The only thing worth anything in that tomb is this linen. It's interesting that the only thing missing is the body. If you were going to rob a grave, I ain't taking the nasty corpse. That's a side note. Let him who has ears to hear here. And Peter goes home. He sees the linen, pokes around, no body. Um, He doesn't just go home, though. He goes home wondering what had happened. Uh, This word wondering is pregnant with meaning that we can kind of miss in English. It doesn't mean that Peter's just like, oh, shucks. You know, like, what happened? Where did it all go wrong? Um, You know, it means to be struck with astonishment. It means to marvel. It's a word that's often used in the Gospels to describe how crowds reacted when Jesus would perform a miracle. Um, Peter is marveling. He's astonished. It's, It's almost like a new dad holding his firstborn son saying, what just happened? My mind has been blown. And he can't, it's just too much. He can't wrap his mind around it. So the resurrection is not a crime scene to investigate as much as it is a miracle to marvel at, to wonder what does this mean? How could this have happened? And so here's just real simply what I think this could mean today. What if you left here this morning believing a dead person came back to life? 
A dead man came back to life, that he appeared to these women, then the disciples, and hundreds of others. Believe that this resurrection confirms this message, that he came to take your place. And look around, that this place is here. These people are here. Evidence of his hand is all around. And what if we asked him to open our eyes, to show us your presence here, to show us that you're here and that you're real? What if we set aside time to develop the discipline of wonder? It's no coincidence that Jesus chose to come back to life during Easter, where it's, it's as if the trees themselves are waking up from a deep sleep. We have evidence of new life all around us. Look at a tree in your backyard day by day as the leaves are blossoming more and say, what will it mean when I am raised from the dead? What will my mom's body like when she's raised from the dead at the last day? What will my child that I lost look like when he's raised on the last day? What does it mean that Jesus rose from the dead and said, I am making all things new and anyone who comes to me can have life to fill our minds with wonder and astonishment as we go and eat brunch and it's delicious. To say, how good will the food be? You know what the first thing it says after Jesus comes back and wipes out all of his enemies? The first thing he's going to do, throws a big party. And the scripture said it'll have the best meat and the best wine. It's going to be better than the brunch you're about to eat. What would it look like if we learned how to wonder? If we learned how to marvel at this message of the resurrection. The author of life came for you, lived for you, died for you, and is now risen for you, and you can know him today. Thanks be to God. Receive the gift of the resurrection, relationship with Jesus. He's provided us with a tangible picture of what this means, and it's one that we can carry throughout our weeks, throughout our days, throughout all of our lives. And it's one he said to these disciples, knowing full well how they would respond in the hours to come. He looked at them on the night he was betrayed. He took a loaf of bread and said, this is my body broken for you. Eat this and remember what I've done for you. Isn't this fascinating? He doesn't hand them a sheet of paper saying, here are the rules I've asked you to follow for me. Here's the things that you must do for me. He says, take this bread Eat it and remember my body broken for you. What if every time we sat down to a meal, we took just a moment to marvel as we break food to eat it and bring it into our bodies, to marvel and wonder at the body of the Son of God broken for us. After the meal, he took a cup of wine and he said, this is what makes you safe with God. This is the message of the resurrection. It's my blood shed in your place that seals your relationship with God. Drink this and remember what I've done for you. What if every time, what if every time you drank morning coffee <coughs> or had a glass of wine before bed or had a glass of milk with your kids? What if every time you drank something, you wondered at the gift of the resurrection that Jesus said, I took your place and now you can come home to God and you are safe. I know you screwed up this morning. I know your life hasn't gone the way you thought it would. I know you failed, but this is what makes you safe, Christian. The blood of Christ shed for you. Our tradition at Sojourn is to come forward and rip off a piece of bread, dip it in wine or juice, 
Uh, the wine will have a piece of twine wrapped around it and will have gluten-free elements to my left, your right. I'll pray for us, and then Christians, you may come forward as you're ready. Let's pray.